Hello and welcome to The Point of Everything. Today's guest on the show is Kian Galvin, aka The Expert, formerly one half of Messiah J and The Expert, and still making beats 15 years or so since they came to an end. He's got an album with a Kentucky-born rapper Stick Figure coming out on Friday entitled Ritual, and this is one of the singles off it. It's called Cost of Business. Bro, don't you know that you could die like that? No tent on the windows when you ride like that. Don't you know that you could die like that? Wolfing on the ground, boys slide right fast. Don't you know that you could die like that? Ego tripping all the time, why you pride like that? Don't you know that you could die like that? Jack boys always watching when you shine like that. <laughs> and all that faking with your image like that. Rented jewels, rented whips, gotta give it right back. Throwing halos on you demons when you timid like that. Hit dog on holla, get defensive like that. Uh, everybody ain't got vision like that. Everybody wanna claim they in the trenches like that. Just being ignorant, stand on business like that. My OGs was consistent, kept me on the right path. It's like this, that, and this, and uh. It's like that, and like this, and like that, and uh. It's like this, that, and this, and uh. It's like that, and like this, and like that, and uh. Looked in the eyes of the killers, heard the pleas of the young, confronted monsters in the shadows, content bleed from their gums. I first heard of Messiah J and the Expert while I was co-presenting a radio show in UCC back in the mid-noughties. They were the first hip-hop rap act nominated for the Choice Prize for their 2006 album Now This I Have To Hear and it's actually 20 years since their first release What's Confusing You. I was a big fan back in the day and Kian takes us back to how that all started as well as talking about the gang that preceded their pairing Creative Control. You'll hear him talking about one member of that gang, DJ Lee, and a show that he was on with Zig and Zag. It was called Too Fat. We couldn't remember the name of it while we were chatting. So just so you know, Too Fat with the number two. And there are clips and even full episodes on YouTube if you want to go have some laughs because it still holds up, as a lot of that Zig and Zag stuff does. We talk about the end of Messiah J and the Expert, how that all came to maybe a natural conclusion. We go through the experts' discography then post Messiah J up to the release of Ritual and last year's The Overview Effect on which he collaborated with another US rapper, Germicide. You'll hear a couple of Messiah J and the expert clips throughout the episode and we'll play out with The Green Monster, a track from Ritual. You can get that album from theexpert.bandcamp.com and you can get all of the Messiah J and the expert stuff at their Bandcamp page too. Let's listen to the rest of Cost of Business and we'll get into the chat with Kian, a.k.a. The Expert. Do you think about Messiah J and the Expert that much when you're like working on new music or putting out new music? Like we were just saying before we started 20 years since roughly since he started out, I think. Yeah. So I think um, the first one, first album came out in 2003, as far as I remember. But um, no, like, I don't really think about Messiah J and the Expert much when I'm making music. Um, the only way I think about it is that I'm still really good friends with Jay. So like even last week I sent them on stuff and just kind of get feedback but um, 
when I'm making music now, I suppose I make it in a different way and it's more, it was a part, very much a partnership then. And I suppose now I'm collaborating with different artists or I'm working on stuff myself. And it's, I I suppose it's, it's more of my expression, maybe a bit more to the forefront rather than collaboration, which has its positives and negatives because, uh, it's always good for someone to tell you, actually, that bit's not very good. <laughs> yeah, but no, I don't think about that much. And I haven't even listened to much of uh, the music in quite a while. Yeah, it's probably like me listening to back to my old podcast. I'm not going to go there, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like, um, I suppose, I haven't really said this before, but there was a stage where we began up again. Oh, um, and was that of, like during the pandemic sort of thing? It actually was. When, yeah, when you're, or when actually, you're no, it was funny enough, it was pre pandemic, I think. And then during the pandemic, wrote some songs, but then I suppose kind of life took over again and stuff like that. But it, it I kind of knew at the time it was more Jay needed it and wanted it. And maybe this will turn into something, but I was more than happy just to, you know, do it for fun. Oh, okay. So you weren't thinking, you were just thinking of the two of you rather than yeah, like, what, what is this really going to be? Rather than like, you know, the first single, what's it going to be? You know, yeah. it wasn't anything like that. It was just more kind of writing songs for fun again. And yeah, it was really nice, you know. There's still like a load of love for you though as well. I'm sure that if people hear that, they're going to be like kind of, like I was just there, <laughs> kind of like, oh, eyes wide, just tell me. Yeah, look, I don't know. I suppose never say never, but yeah. Like if the stars align, possibly, but I I wouldn't hold my breath either. If that makes sense. <laughs> Did you finish a couple of tunes? Like you're kind of sitting on a couple. Well, yes. Yeah, so um, we released I suppose three official albums, and like in our when we were together, two thousand three, I think it was two thousand and six, then maybe, and then two thousand and eight, and actually in between two thousand and three and two thousand and this kind of second record around then. We made so many songs. We actually have, we then released kind of an al- album slash EP then called And Another Thing, which is kind of like another album. And we actually even have another album's worth from that period that never really came out. And that's when the con- I found it on my hard drive kind of pre-pandemic and sent it to John. I was like, oh, wow, do you remember this? And then we kind of start writing some tunes. But like, and then we talked about, oh, should we put it out? And then we're like, well, you know, what's the platform what do we want to do and then as well when we started thinking our brains hurt and we stopped (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah no uh, i suppose we never fully shut the door because we always thought of like a band one of our favorite bands was portishead or something like that where it took was it 14 years for third to come out and i really hope there's a fourth so we never said never but i i wouldn't if it was a betting man i wouldn't bet on us either oh (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah, no, I think we completed one new song. Yeah, okay, was actually recorded. Yeah, I mean that's enough. Yeah, <laughs> you know that's enough to to get the hype building again. Yeah. <laughs> I, I wouldn't say so. But yeah, so that's that was all we came out with. Was it totally different working on that new song than it would have been like back twenty years ago? I'm guessing just like from your perspective, just technology wise, it's completely different. Absolutely, as well? and actually, I suppose um, to kind of go chronologically, we finished. 2008 the third kind of the final album came out third proper album we decided to stop in 09 then kind of 2010 I was drifting along then 2011 I kind of spent a couple of years working the next few years I kind of spent a couple of years working with other singers and 
failed collaborations, I suppose. And then, oh, geez, I don't know how long it is gone now. But then I started another failed collaboration. <laughs> say, even though we have pro- songs, we might finish with a singer called Farah L. Oh yeah, she's great. Yeah. I talked to her yeah. last year. Oh great, her, yeah. So her we, we love Farah. So, so John used to do these rapping classes, and Farah was in them. Oh wow! Uh, yeah. Then Farah was a fan of us, and uh, she asked, she needed help with the kind of production side of it. So. We started working on production together. They did a few songs, and then I suppose one of me and Jay started writing songs even for, and one of those songs, I suppose, that new song that is recorded is basically half Farah, half Jay, and then I did the music. Then I suppose me and Farah wrote a couple other things, but then, like that, it was very different. I suppose the Farah L sound, if you know what I mean, it's just her kind of world music, kind yeah, of yeah, and pianos and stuff like that. Whereas this was much more electronic and beats you know she was re- recording that and i was just listening to demos helping her out and stuff like that and then I suppose pandemic happened really around the time and that's when i suppose everyone not like i was only chatting with farad a couple of weeks ago but you know i suppose we drifted apart until she went off to do her thing and i suppose i began my I suppose second phase of uh music career if you want to call it like that and um yeah but all great people and all still keep in touch you know yeah was it was it music generation or something like that that you were working on with farah or was it something else jay works for an organization that helps i suppose uh marginalized groups and um he ran work rapping workshops i suppose and help get them involved in their community and give them something to be interested about and um Back when she was probably a teenager, I presume at this rate, Farrow was involved, like, kind of used to go and um, kind of got in touch with John, I think, or whatever about it. And that's how they kind of kept in touch. And uh, as you would have met her, she's such a shining light. Yeah, you know? so like bubbly and yeah, happy. She's so positive. Absolutely. So she's so lovely to be around. Just a great person. So I just heard her voice the first time John sent me on something. I was like, well, I really haven't heard and still very many people like her in Ireland like a voice like that come from here so yeah I, th- I think she's a wonderful talent the kind of production style she has gone forth with isn't something I can assist with so that's why well I could but it would it's not my bag really if you mm. know what I mean I'm better I'm better kind of producing uh like in an ele- electronic world if you want to call it that that's great though that like you and John still friends and he like yeah, yeah. Uh, calls you asks for help and stuff yeah, yeah, yeah. and you're happy to help out as well making yeah, making yeah. the music too it sounds like you never kind of stopped over the past no like, no we'll be 15 years or something yeah friends forever you know he's he's like around between whatever it would have been 2000 to 2010 or whatever that or 2009 sure we were like brothers you know we in each other's pockets texting every day talking every day like music was our world then you know and in particular Messiah Jane the expert um so you know it's like a marriage you know (laughs) (laughs) it'll always be there like when when you text or something you can go weeks without talking but like it'll always be there absolutely and like you know the conversation after the hey how are you it picks up straight away you know yeah yeah Specific 
quite prolific Talent is too terrific Too zone, too technical Too crude, too cryptic It's too critically Lyrically apocalyptic My sick quick shit sticks And no buzz like stick. It's mad, sadistic, mystic, persistent I'm keeping MCs quiet like a library assistant With misfitting trickers He predictably are sick of me Swiftness and trickery Messiah take the mickery Habitually Check the dictionary for legal Explain does my name dash No match, no equal No catch Rappers hide in dark corners I'm making them sweat Like Joe Brandon's light of sauna Call the ambulance Call time, it's all over The experts' beats are putting DJs in comas MCs on stretches The architect indulges Paramedics scrambling Check the necks for pulses Forget the bullshit We're only rich in talent I'm rescuing the heads Like I'm fucking Mitch Buchanan There's only one way To stop me rapping It's called Dr. Brown Travel back to 81 Don't let me happen Stop like food jamming Mind and body slamming I speak knowledge I ate that whole fucking salmon CC's too deep Too dope for understanding Hip hop three wishes And now you're looking at them I'm on a butt push, I'm on a butt push With every word, my rhyme I push I'm on a butt push, I'm on a butt push With every pen, rod, bike I touch I'm on a butt push, I'm on a butt push I'm on a rush, a rush, I'm on a butt push I'm flipping out as such, I need chrome the clutch Butt push, butt push, butt push, butt push I overdid it, I OD'd on venom and adrenaline The medicine that's pumping me up like an infediment We heard the orchestra, we were strung out We sent for them from Earth to Pluto you guys are in a, a group called Creative Control, yeah. wasn't it? Like, what was the scene in Dublin for hip-hop rap around then? Because when I think of, like, two thousand, early 2000s in Dublin, I can only think of, you know, the Whelan scene. Like, yeah. was there a hip-hop rap scene? Take, take um, me back. Yeah, okay. So, I suppose in 1999... Oh, that makes me sound old. <laughs> in 1999, we recorded, I suppose... I there wasn't it wasn't much of a scene and in fact there a lot of the scene really came from underground radio or pirate radio so I think there would have been a number of shows say on Jazz FM or oh god what were the there was there was other stations around that time like um, in Dublin uh, and and elsewhere as well but yeah definitely in Dublin there's a good few pirate stations and they would have their like weekly two hour show of hip hop and. I suppose most people in Dublin at that time, or in Ireland at that time, would listen to the shows because it was the only opportunity to, I suppose, get an Irish viewpoint uh, on hip hop from there. So um, now that would have those radio shows would have been happening from ninety five, ninety six, ninety seven. So we wouldn't ring it in. But in ninety nine or ninety eight, ninety nine, we kind of threw a radio show. One the guy who used to. Uh, present the show kind of said hey I'm talking to this guy I'm talking to this guy. why don't you all kind of get together in a room just meet up and hang out or whatever so we used to rent a room on Saturdays in uh, in town and just kind of like say 13 lads or whatever it was at the time used to just go in and just like hop on the decks kind of have a mic freestyle and just really chat shite and kind of you know get to express our love for the music with other people uh, like-minded people how, how old are all of you then like 16 15 16 or older uh no well in, when we started meeting up like that uh we would have been 18 oh okay so yeah and uh, now other people would have been older maybe one or two younger but um i think the oldest then would have been dj lee who was on um jazz fm but he's also like the dj for it wasn't the den but whatever Ray Darcy show was on at that time with Zig and Zag. I it wasn't the Den? It must have been the Den. No. It wasn't like the Saturday morning show or no, something? No, they like had that? some other show Did at they? that stage. Uh, 
Oh, we'll we'll do some fact checking. Yeah, I, d- I can't remember what the show was, but anyway, like he was on telly. It was prime time telly, and like D- they had like and the DJ, you know, oh, and DJ that must have been hilarious. It, it was kind of like just <laughs> it was kind of mad that that was the only way hip hop music was getting played on the telly at that time. Like zig and zag, uh, even from Mech beforehand, like it, big purveyors of hip hop in Ireland. <laughs> it's kind of ter- so we all used to kind of just mess around for them Saturdays, and then kind of. Uh, I think around eight or nine of us used to go all the time and kind of formed a, a f- pretend group really called the Stonecutters. And <laughs> there was like four DJs or something, four rappers, me doing uh, kind of beats and stuff. It was just like a mishmash of lads who just loved hip hop. You, you never wanted to be on the mic, so you always were happy behind the decks. Like when I was 14 and 15 or something, I was probably trying rapping and stuff like that. But uh you quickly realized. I quickly realized <laughs> I don't have a very good voice for for rapping, but I do enjoy like the technicality of it and kind of I I really the rhythmic I suppose uh, elements of putting words together. But um, then in kind of after, you know, meeting up for I don't know six months together all the time every Saturday, I kind of I suppose the producer in me was just like you know I, this is never going to work. This is just utter chaos. You know. Um, I'm thinking that as well like if it's a gang of like 13 or 15 yeah. lads or something like that meeting up even just trying to get something uh, productive out it, of you must have been like so like difficult. it was just chaos so, um, <laughs> so I just I kind of knew straight away that Jay was my favourite rapper out of the, the cohort there and there was also a DJ there called DJ Mayhem who I thought was amazing there was actually the DJs were I would say as a collective, maybe stronger than the rappers at that time. They were so good and going for like DMC championships and stuff like that. But um, Mayhem, I thought was a really cool guy, lived close to me, had similar work ethic, same as Jay probably. So I kind of said, hey, look, do you guys want to form just a trio? Um, And they were like, or or I kind of said, do you want to write a song as a trio? I think it was the first thing I said. And so they came to my house, kind of wrote a few tunes and... I I knew I think we all knew straight away we were like okay this has actual focus and like an idea of what this could be rather than I suppose this mishmash of styles and ideas um so we created a uh, creative control and after I don't know I'm going to just say 6 months <laughs> we wrote like about five or six songs and we decided to go and my brother was in a band back in the day, my older brother, and he was like, you should go into the studio and actually record these because then you can like hand them out and maybe do gigs and stuff like that because there wasn't many opportunities for live hip-hop back then. Were you going to shows? Like, was yes. there acts coming to town and, and I, w- I will say in kind of 98 is when I would say the turning point happened in Ireland. A big time. So there was obviously stuff going on before that and Mech and Scary and that crew doing loads of great work but I think as a hip-hop kind of worldwide grew incredibly I suppose if you want to be really crass and break it down to like the Fugees you know I think 96 was a breakout year for hip-hop worldwide with the Fugees, Tupac I think both of them went diamond you know which is basically you're huge and then i suppose 97 biggie became massive again and put the puff daddy era and all that so i think globally hip-hop took a huge leap kind of 96 97 and then around at the same time while that was going on in america there was another side of america where 97 98 is the beginning of 
the underground independent hip hop scene where it was a lot of groups who were like, okay, you know, I'm not going down this Puff Daddy route, they did like or whatever. This isn't my style. This isn't what I'm doing. We want to make, you know, really raw, independent stuff that doesn't give it. And that's essentially what Company Flow did. You know, they're independent as F was there, you know, trademark and LP. Really was a huge change at that time in the independent scene. Company Flow and Raucous, which, you know, and now he's gone on to run the Jewels, which is amazing to see someone who's changed hip-hop forever. So I think in 98 and 99, when that uh, scene was burgeoning in in the US with Company Flow and with, you know, MF Doom and uh, other, all the Raucous crew, some of those acts actually started to come here in 98, definitely 99. And it was the first time me and my mates were like, oh my God, we can actually go see some of these acts. So I remember crews like the Arsonists, which were a very underground crew at that time, but they came over here and there was kind of a little gigs bubbling here and there. And anyway, then in 1999, we released, we recorded those four tracks in um, Temple Bar, I think it was, was it Music Centre? Anyway, we recorded the tape, you know, because, and we needed, because uh, that's how it was done back then. So, you know, you basically had paid for your four hours and was like, this is all you're getting yeah. <laughs> out of this. So it was all very live and raw. So we came out of that day with um, four tracks on a CD and we pressed up 30 copies of a CD. And um, obviously probably 10 went to rights. And then my brother, Shane, who became our manager, um, said, oh, I know a couple of people who might want this. And one of them was, was Leagues O'Toole. Oh, wow. And Leagues was, I don't know, was he presenting No Disco at that time? But he was definitely, like, you know, well-known in the scene. And Leagues really liked it. Like, he really liked it. And he sent the demo to another guy, Declan Ford. And Declan Ford sent the t- them two people, I suppose, changed our lives. And little do people know, but they actually really changed the scene in Ireland forever. Like the hip-hop yeah. rap scene. So, at the time, Leagues was also doing, as far as I remember, distribution for Raucous in Ireland. And Raucous was, like, the biggest independent label at that time so leagues absolutely loved the demo and asked would we sign a record deal with him to volta beats with dave o'grady and they had they signed jape uh and they would have good time john paul o'reilly who else did they have did they have connect for i think they might have connect for orchestra as well and a few any a few others so um and basically we did a 500 press and of, we then recorded another song Blood Rush with the dose and I suppose Blood Rush really changed a lot for us but in between that time Declan Ford uh, loved the demo and he was a young promoter here and he asked could he come see us rehearse and uh, I think Leagues might have been there as well and anyway Declan Ford came to the room absolutely loved it and said I want to build a scene around this and the Stonecutters. And he said, I'm going to start bringing acts over so you guys can play and your friends can come. We can build, create something there. So basically for about a year or two, we just played every single support slot for every single deck for show. And he'd be like, who should I bring over? And we'd be like, Master Ace, who should I bring over? And we just actually start telling Cannabis, um, you know, the far side. You know, basically all the f- people yeah. we loved and he would start trying to book them and we get them over. So, yeah, Declan Ford, I think, really changed the scene for those five years of that run. Because then, 
you had, you know, the Def Juk scene. And so you had, you know, LP coming over, Aesop Rock. Um, and then and the, and the crowds are like getting bigger, like the Sugar Club. The that, well. I'm not the Sugar Club, sorry. Um, the Pod and like oh, the Red Box. Okay. And all that. So he they ran that whole. Uh, so you might sm- start in smaller rooms, then go big. So like the far side would play rev, uh, the bigger rooms. And then you'd also have uh, like Public Enemy came over and stuff. That's our gangster. So yeah, there was loads of amazing acts and shows we did at that time. Um, like Nas or whatever and lots of the Wu-Tang people so um, yeah I think that's I believe that changed a huge amount of the music scene in Dublin Ireland at that time because big well-known acts were coming over at a regular pace and people who were into that music were able to go quite regularly and then bring their friends to see what it was like and experience it and then I think uh, you know it made a big change and then I suppose the next change you could say was the internet you know and then kind of everyone being able to contact people easier and people come over again so yeah i mean i guess i would have um known you around the time of now this i have to hear that was when i was you know getting into music and i was doing a a show on college radio in cork so i think i might have gotten the cd through that or something we loved it you know that album but did it feel like you were always on the up around then as well like was there a bit of hype around you yeah definitely so like at the time, uh, there was definitely a big buzz. It felt like '05. I think if we were ever to have a time when it nearly all happened, I think it was 2005. So we released the debut album in '03, and then like '05 or '06, we had written the second record. We had something out and nothing was the first single. We had a video for. We were playing South by Southwest. Oh wow! We were back when South by was like a really big deal. Yeah, like I remember even being in South by Southwest in 05 or 06 and like we were in the room playing to a lot of our idols at the time, like Atmosphere, Sage Francis, you know, kind of, kind of, I suppose people from America in the scene we were taught we were a part of over here and um, we were being brought over by Steve Lamack to do sessions in Made of Ale and I was like, we, uh, Sony did talk to us, like there was labels talking to us Um at that time but um we had i suppose have been we were so desperate to get the music out at that time we wanted to we decided to end release it in 2006 ourselves independently and we got great press at that time especially over here i suppose the first record was all you know people was like what is irish hip-hop what is this about whereas i think the tide turned then and people were like wow this is like you know this is something to take seriously. Um, we were got really good reviews, as far as I remember. We were up for the choice, and for so long that was the only hip hop rap album that was yeah. nominated for the choice. Like yeah. for so long, I can't remember like what the next hip hop rap album was. Well, the, our, our next one got it as well. Oh, did it? Oh, yeah. Okay. So that's what it, it okay, felt then like. After that, that. <laughs> yeah. No, after that, I think it was Russ and Gano. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. So right. it was yeah, like about ten years almost. Yeah, a long time. So I think. Um, it was those few years felt like you know if something's going to happen it's going to happen but then I suppose we started uh, trying we kind of felt like we had gotten as big as we could in Ireland without I suppose doing major crossover stuff which we didn't want to do like commercial yeah if I'm being honest like we knew if we'd kind of made a really commercial music we probably could have got on radio but that wasn't our style um 
so we decided to go to you know England and just ran out of money really probably like a lot of other bands I'm sure you, you re- moved over no no but I mean we went kind of like promoting there going over and um, yeah paying PR companies were to get us on radio and stuff like that. and well we did get play and all like that it's just not that we I suppose we felt we still had money we were like we felt like we got disheartened I suppose by everything that went on and I suppose over those 10 years me and Jay I suppose compromised our work life I suppose if you want to call it that like our, our jobs were part time because we were trying to do music full time we probably both lost partners during that time over music and stuff like that so I think it got to a stage we were when we were all doing we just said we we sat I remember we sat down maybe the first session to let's write the fourth record and we both kind of looked at each other and I could tell we were both pretty exhausted wow. just ran out of gas at that time for sure yeah we de- I think we definitely did we I don't think we knew where to take it I think music was even changing a lot then um it was changing so fast as well yeah. like that London scene just like Absolutely. kept going and innovating yeah so it definitely was just changing that and I think yeah I th- just think we hit a brick wall yeah and so it kind of like just came to a natural conclusion you did just yeah I think I think we were both thinking it um and I can't remember who said it, but it, I think we both just said, let's just take a break. And I suppose the break lasted probably an awful long time. When you make, when, 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 when you make, when, 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 when you make something out of nothing. Ah. I spit this jargon for all visionary believers. Kids on a mad light chippers with plastic cap, two liter rocket science degrees. Those honorary graduates who made their own fucking fun from the blandish. Don't rock it, try it, you'll see. I'm up at inspired and treat. When I flip the script on the ordinary, today I watch the pants, oh, cast a junkie priest on an OAP. Unassuming, naturalistic, I let him improvise our pants. Resist applauding, marvelous actors that let Creativity plus everyday shit equals stimulation, bravo. And entertainment is relative, even at the bus stop on the ramble. I nipple feed my brain, children, seduce inventions, mob. Understand what man's rubbish cans and other man's attentions are. Now I descended from this hairy smart guy. He rubbed two twigs, two very boring twigs together and saw one solitary spark fly. The rest is archives, now check the large smile on the face of the bloke who uses sticks and souls that broke the bones of cavemen barflies. Some generation entertain me, hypocritical, yes, of course this is. But maybe dad had a point about the 50s and resourcefulness. That's why I watched the A-team late at night. I bite MacGyver's moves, I'm Mary Poppins taking flight. I'm fairy balls and lighter view. You can create with your media idols, I'm their expression free. Everyone can pick their unique brain like no one else you see. True, innovators and GBI thrive on the bare necessities. Use your imagination and turn those ghosts to Yeah, the memories though. I mean, like, they're, oh, yeah. they're, they're happy memories. I'm guessing for the Absolutely, most part. Like, it was yeah. great hearing, hearing like that, that kind of ten-year run. Yeah, like I wouldn't change it at all. It's made me who I am. You know, it's made John who he is, and yeah, just lots of you know funny stories, great memories, great times, great people. Like, still a lot of people from that time are still my best mates. Um, like a lot of people in the band, you know, that played us and just the, 
the other musicians around at that time, you know, just great memories. And so, yeah, so I, I wouldn't change it for it at all. Great. Um, do you have, like, musically regrets? Do you think, like, what if we had signed with a record label? What if we had done this? Was, that, was there, like, one point where you think maybe if we did that, I, we'd still be together? Maybe we'd have been bigger or anything? Or... I, I I don't have regrets, but I think if something needed to ha- if something was going to happen, and I can't I can't even remember right now, but like it was definitely around that oh five oh six wow. when like we were just a lot of buzz around us at that time, but I I suppose we just couldn't find or make I suppose the step to make a full time career out of it. Yeah, but you know not a lot of people do. We you know we're they still don't. Yeah, that's what I say. Like only one in a million or whatever make it. So um, that's why I have so much respect for musicians who are able to make a career yeah. out of it, whether it's your style of music or not. Like it's fair effects to anyone who does it. Yeah, you know? and that's when like people are still buying CDs and actually yeah. paying you money as well. So well, I I actually think that was a part of that kind of 08, Like so much has changed then, and like my job at the time actually was I worked for a distribution company. I used to. <laughs> distribute most of the classical and jazz music around Ireland to H&V and Tower and stuff like that so uh, um, and I remember just thinking around that time my job is in trouble like I'm in peril oh, here you could actually see like the, the oh, orders coming in were way lower or something absolutely and like wow. I think that that job I was in like crept on to 2010 but like it was it was totally changing it was keeping and yeah and, and money wasn't there to be made but now probably if the people who started around then and are making music now probably were like it was a gold mine back then because <laughs> it's so hard to make music money now and um, so yeah it's funny how you know a cup of coffee is more important than music or whatever now but you never stopped making music like on your band camp you've got i think six albums worth yeah. of material stretching back to 2012 or something did you actually like take a break and just like stop making music for a while yeah so i think 2000 and would have been nine i'm gonna guess to 2011 i totally stopped pretty much like i would have messed around a bit with the equipment i have but i was i nothing was serious it was all just for myself you're, you're thinking as well like what you missed out on on life like you were saying you know exactly. losing partners and stuff yeah and i suppose i met my uh the partner i have now around that time and I, my focus went elsewhere even though I, I always like music is like so important to me in my life and whether that's working with it or listening to it for myself or for with other people you know going to gigs or whatever so it's hugely important to me but I think I lost my way at that time so I was like I suppose the marriage had broken up you know <laughs> um, and I, I didn't know I didn't have a focus because if you're I suppose a writer it's kind of maybe easier to get your thoughts out but as an instrumentalist I, I wasn't sure how to do that then in 2012 I put out yeah a beat tape just I was kind of just because that kind of beat tape music or like instrumental hip-hop you know thanks to Dilla and other people were really getting its shine and um, so I was like oh, I'll put something out and uh, I suppose it got more interesting than I probably thought I was putting on a band camp and then then around that time as well, I started really working with I don't know if you're like Jennifer Evans and we were we we wrote loads of songs and working stuff and then just the recording element didn't come together and then she eventually moved to London so I lost kind of another few years there where I didn't do much. Then in 2014 I wrote a record called 
Dynamic Drift or 2015, I can't remember. And I actually got signed to a, a label called Cole Busted for that record, um, which at the time was one of the bigger beat tape records. And if I ever have one regret, it's probably then, because they wanted me to change one song, <laughs> and I pig-headedly said no, and uh, I put it out myself. And I think if I had have done that, things may have changed for me at that time like as in not that i would have made a career of it but i think i would have uh that was when that wave of music was at its peak if that makes sense and um, so i just put it out myself what did they want to change uh, i actually can't even remember now which is terrible because then they i put out the next record with them anyway okay <laughs> it all so worked out exactly so anyway then uh, another few years later i put out a, a record called excursions and that came out on vinyl and i think Putting it out on physical release was was what really was so important to me. I, I really uh, streaming um, while it's very convenient and handy and great. There's something about holding a record you've created, your own artifact that will last. Uh, there's just something really special about that, and that that's something I I still get a major buzz out of. You know, I still get a big kick out of that, and. Um, when that record came out uh, in 2019, a guy called Danny, who runs Rucksack Records, um, asked me to do a song for a compilation. And I did a song for a compilation for him. And he said, have you got anything else? And I said, well, I'm working on this record for a long time with a rapper called Germicide. Um, and it's called... Well, actually, first I said, I have an instrumental album. And he said, send it on. he said... <laughs> I don't that doesn't fit the label have you got anything else and I said I'm working this album that's uh, kind of like psychedelic hip hop and he just said that sounds amazing <laughs> send it to me so I sent him on what we had and he absolutely loved it so we finished off that record and that came out uh, maybe did that only come out last year mm, yeah, yeah I think that came out in 2022 he had has another act on the label uh, called Spectacular Diagnostics who's kind of like psychedelic hip hop as well to a degree and I suppose I worked in so I'm going backwards here but basically I worked in Tower Records for five or six years and would have rinsed A to Z through every section and the two sections that of course well the three sections like instrumental music hip hop and psych were the three that were like oh my god I love this so I think in 05 me and Jay would have messed around with a couple of songs or ideas then in 2006 a rapper called Edan brought out a record called Beauty and the Beat which was essentially the music in my brain and i was like oh my god someone's done it like this is what i've been thinking about what i've been we've had some attempts at and i think that spurred me on to it reinvigorated me to kind of pursue that kind of path of very niche <laughs> uh, 1960s psychedelic <laughs> music mixed with kind of golden era hip-hop how did you get talking with germicide when where, where in America is he from? He's from um, Atlanta. Oh, is where okay. he's now North Carolina, I think, but he's in Atlanta. And so he did a project probably back in the early, like maybe 2012, 13, around that time with the beat tape. Um, he was making a project with a, another Irish guy called Danny Diggs at the time, a producer, and they asked me to do a remix. So I did a remix for him. Then he was in a part of a larger crew um, called The Lessendary who and Tanya Morgan's a part of them who have been on my last few records 
and I did a remix for them. And then I, around 2000, and after the beat tape came out and a, f- a few rappers from America hit me up, I attempted to put out a record with lots of rappers on it. <laughs> it proved quite difficult to finally get all the pieces of the puzzle, but two of the acts that were, I got a great relationship at that time was Germicide and Stick Figure. And I suppose keeping in contact with them, telling them the idea for the record, was able to finish that concept with um, Germicide. And I think then when Stick Figure kind of heard the final album of what I suppose piecing it together, I was able to, I suppose, coerce him into doing a record <laughs> with me, which leads us up to today. Martin Luther told me hatred was a bottomless emotion But tell that to the slaves at the bottom of the ocean The rage in their eyes cause a nautilus imposing They saying lack of fathers is the cause of this commotion It's going down, it's those falling off the boats drown We watch the inner city turn into a ghost town Friends stumble down the street like the walking dead Siren screams as I listen to a talking head These brothers ain't ready to die, though it's often said I'm having dreams that I'm laying in a coffin dead And deadly viruses are often spread Daily, from the man gravy to your lady to the baby, free me, Lord. Why do we be such a greedy whore? It got me soul searching, but without the Ouija board, it's young fools acquire tools for robins, a bunch of goons and coons that scary like ghouls and goblins. How collaborative are they? Because I was wondering, is it just you coming up with all the tunes and then just giving them all to the rappers? Or is it you working, you know, uh, collaboratively together on each song? Um, so with Germicide, uh, it was very much... I I think I said it, it was basically What's Going On by Marvin Gaye mixed with Edan, Beauty and the Beat. So it was like psychedelic hip-hop with conscious... Uh, you know, society, talking about society, what's going on, and he completely understood the remit. We wrote a couple of songs, and then we kind of built upon that idea. So, like, whether that's social issues, racism, um, ecology, you know, things that last. I, I knew, like, what's going on with Marvin Gaye is 50 years old, but it's as relevant as ever, and always will be. And I think records like that will stand the test of time. And I wanted that to be the focus for that record so I think even Germicide would admit I led the lyrical content for that record yeah which so he kind of almost I think viewed it as a project you know because he was stepping outside maybe what he would have done as well Um, and you're you're not writing the lyrics or anything you're just saying like this is what I would like yeah and I think this would be a good idea things like this and it was very much like an overall package like of um, like you're saying, and then I think at that time, COVID happened, the Black Lives Matter movement happened, um, and I think that really put a battery in the pack to kind of finish some of these concepts and, and kind of get it out there. And so it was, it was meant to like to be its own little world that lived on its own, and like kind of we were aiming for like a little kind of cult classic record that someone 
down the line will hear and go, oh, this is really cool, you know. So then that came out and uh, then Stick Figure was on one of the songs on that and we kept that relationship going. Me and Stick Figure, that record was actually written really quickly. Uh, I Well, in my world, quickly, which is probably like six months. Six months um, and it was just sending files and our emails back and forth. We never actually video chat or never actually spoke me and stick figure wow. just yeah um and we're meeting all over email we're meeting for the first time tomorrow yeah um actually like tomorrow yeah but oh. like just online we're, oh, we're, yeah so cause wow, he's in Topeka, Kansas. yeah so that and it was strange but because it was moving at such a rapid pace i it was almost like i didn't have time okay i was like this is what this is about i'm gonna make that this is what this is about from my like i have an idea send this um, so it was very much, uh, I think, we both knew what we were trying to do without talking to each other. It's, it's quite strange. Wow. Yeah, well, I don't think Stick would mind me saying because there was, we were about four songs into the record, I think. So it started off by me sending him a beat, like a, a bunch of beats, and he picked some. And I kind of had an idea of what he was going for to sound. But then he actually said... I'm wondering, will this be my last record? He said to me. He's like, I don't know if I have another one in me. And that probably changed my focus of how this would sound. I was like, if this is someone's, you know, love letter, you know, that this is them walking off stage, what would, uh, I think it changed how the record was pieced together and what I wanted it to sound like, what I wanted him to sound like, and maybe the topics we would have talked a few things about. So, it's really like meant to be the, his finale. Whether it is or not, I don't know. And that's of him. But that's kind of, I think it it made me slightly adapt the musicality or for it. It sounds a lot jazzier as well than yeah. other stuff. Is that just what you were listening to, or was it like what he was saying? You were kind of thinking about certain things as well musically. I think it was both. I think the it's quite an introspective record. A lot of it, I think uh, a lot of stuff of what he talks about. So. I think it the the kind of the chords in a lot of jazz music uh, felt right to bring to this world and uh, to the lyrical content and I suppose even to add weight to, to the words as well and even there's a song on the record called Cost of Business which um, I, I felt really the lyrical content needed something there and that's why I, I asked uh, Daniel Luke, the Irish pianist, to kind of create a whole outro solo piano piece for it because I really felt it deserved something special Um, and yeah I I think it was the jazziness came from the introspection really yeah it it maybe wasn't the intention from the very start of the record but once I kind of knew that where it was going lyrically I felt it it suited the record better so kind of jazzier psych
has it been nice collaborating with these couple of rappers after making all those beat tapes yourself over the years? Yeah. Do you feel suddenly kind of like a little more creative, like the creative juices are flowing a little bit bit more? Yeah, definitely. I think um, it's more focused, if you know what I mean. Yeah, kind of, you have something to focus it around and um, there's not as much pressure to be as technical or show off because you need more changes or more variation. Yeah, I suppose you're you're the palette for the for the wordsmith and for the lyrics and while there's still these aren't just you know loops there's a lot of changes and and variety going on in the music it's all to the bed of the lyrics and and the, the mc do you see this continuing do you do you have like the next project already on the go or are you thinking so of taking a break or i actually i was in touch with jay last week because i sent him the next records which um i have just finished the last mix of and that's with a different rapper again another uh, one from america yeah and that was a very different uh i won't talk about much because obviously but uh, it's very different formula or you know uh, collaboration in fact that we video chatted a lot and t- spoke an awful lot so it was it was very detailed and in fact the rapper also makes beats himself so it's probably been the most kind of in detailed i've worked with and that includes jay because jay jay would call you know the music the gadgets or the digits you know he wouldn't he's like i don't know anything about what you're doing there but i like that whereas this guy you know we you'd be talking about quite technical elements of the the sonic sounds or the bpms or whatever not there so it's it was actually quite nice to talk someone who spoke the language with Mm. me if that makes sense (laughs) um and be a bit nerdier about it but um yeah so i've a another record ready to go and hopefully that'll be out in probably 2024 wow great an album a year yeah yeah how do you find making music is it kind of like your main kind of uh go to just to relax sort of thing like you finish up yeah. at work and you're just like ah just let me make some music for a while yeah absolutely it's it's my special place or whatever you know it uh, it's like my mental health um it, it's the thing that just keeps me sane and whether that's you've had a frustrating day in work or frustrations in life in general it's just escapism like i completely lose myself in the in as soon as i put the headphones on and whether it's just for myself or whether it's ends up being for to be put out publicly i i do it for myself first and foremost and, and I I think when, if I am to reminisce and look back, I think me and John, especially towards the end, probably thought more about the outside world rather than ourselves. I suppose we were playing live, so of course that takes that happens anyway. I think for anyone playing live, you you, you change your songs, how you write songs to a degree. But now, like I, none of these songs from the rappers might perform them, but I'm not. So I'm writing them strictly f- for suppose what i want to hear and in uh, something that excites me when was the last time that you actually played live that was one of the questions i was wondering coming over here oh wow i actually did play the picnic with dynamic drift i think so i think i think i would have played the picnic maybe 2015 or 16 yeah okay. and it was so strange playing on my own <laughs> yeah and in fact i think i walked out of the picnic uh, like after that weekend i was like i I just can't make this work on you my don't own. En- don't enjoy it. I just think unless you have amazing visuals and even quite upbeat music a bit, a bit more, I think for instrumental music to be interesting to watch live, 
it's very hard like I love Shadow RJD2 and stuff like that but without the visuals I think or Chemical Brothers or any of them type of thing you know without an amazing ke- uh, visual show you know you're, you could be at home listening to it you know what I mean <laughs> yeah so yeah it's you, just, you never got into like DJing or anything like I have decks and I would have DJed when I was younger for sure and like you know doing juggles and scratching and all that stuff but yeah no the older guy uh, no I, I just I think my love for music is is the camaraderie with the band you know with the, the crew you're doing it with less so on my own where you're you know, <laughs> lugging all the gear <laughs> it's not so enjoyable yeah that's interesting just because like so many acts kind of use the live arena to like test out tunes and yeah. stuff like that but you don't it's funny like you don't miss it at no. all wow no i don't yeah i always funny. feel like it must be such a thrill for fracks oh like when you're playing um electric picnic in front of you know four or five thousand people that's amazing but then i don't know a tuesday night in kill or where <laughs> isn't no no disrespect <laughs> to kill isn't quite as alluring yeah, yeah. well yeah. i guess it's all like from the festival perspective you can also be pay, playing to a crowd that doesn't really care yeah either yeah, which is true. like increasingly what the crowd is like at a festival i i think anyway for a lot yeah of i think yeah i think the time live music has changed as well yeah um so no i i, I think i'd only go on stage or do stuff ever again I probably won't ever but if it, i wouldn't need someone to coerce me i'd need like a band or you know a group or a crew yeah do you pay much attention to the scene now like 20 years on the rap and hip-hop scene that's happening around ireland in ireland a bit but like i don't know about yourself i feel utterly swamped in music yeah like there's just it's so- like blinking you miss it you oh, miss something great like and even if it's like true friends or social media like you know some album that everyone thinks is the best album ever in two weeks time no one's talking about it and kind of i can't even i'm trying to keep up with what came out like a couple of weeks yeah a months ago or whatever so i i find it hard to keep up with music in general especially when i spend an awful lot of time listening to music through my, either through records or even spotify or whatever but through like older music because i there's such i suppose i love how in particular the late 60s and 70s how music was recorded then i just i, I love the sound of it then and um, not to say like i love modern music just as much but um uh, i do keep up but not as much as i would when i was in the scene like you know uh, and if anything just it wouldn't maybe not uh hip-hop or is like it wouldn't be just hip-hop it's just trying to be stick up with irish music in general because it's just such a scene like um but yeah, I think, uh, like, I, does, I don't want to name X, but I think it's definitely it's fair to say I think Kojak is amazing. And mm. I, as my, my favourite um, other um, kind of Irish producer, I would say, is Jar Jar Jr. I oh, think, yeah. I think he's Both jazz yeah, influenced. Yeah. yeah like, loads of jazz on their, on their records. Jar Jar worked on Kojak's Deli Daydreams, yeah. and it's a real jazz element through yeah. that. I'm guessing that's what kind of hooks you even before, like, the rapping. Absolutely. And I just think he's he's just his technique he's just brilliant i actually he's just really polished really clean great swing they're such short songs as well aren't they yeah, it's just like a, an idea out, just executed yeah, so well exactly so i i just think he's brilliant and i just think yeah the soft boy in general is, i think is a great movement um so they're like kind of and i know that's quite the most obvious choice but it, it's obvious for a reason because it's it's really high standard 
yeah great well great chatting with you thanks for taking us back to the, the early <laughs> 2000s and no, great you. to hear like you're still making great music thanks with very Stick much. Figure and look forward to the album that's coming next year as well thank you very much cheers Got a lot of friends, it depends. Ain't have a pot to piss, then you easy to forget. Never gambled on, you never thought that you could win. Came up for a bit, now they wish for your descent. Won't be there to catch you, watch you fall into the abyss. Could be trying to stack instead of plotting on my ends. Get two left feet when you fall into them trends. Sucker, take a mile if you give them just an inch. Couldn't get a ride, now mobbing in the bins. Got me on defense, so I'm less than surprised. Scanning the terrain, I've been blessed with the eye. Odds been against us, death we defy. You get left behind, you ain't pressing your line. Could be next in line, now I'm pressing decline. Found of the interest of investing my time. No rest for the wicked, so I guess that I'm fine. Awake before dawn, I'm protecting what's mine. Won't test the divine, no regret how I shine. What you eager to take has been rested inside all this time. Wrote the passage, hopeless actors choked in they growth this backwards, seeing the smoke they post as I stoked the mattress. Never let them see a quote, they gon' note the caption, but I don't let it go. I got no detachment, still I keep my friends close. I can tell when they're about to fall. First they see the life, then they try to snatch the microphone. Quick to tell a joke, but you can never tell who's side they own. Better know your foes when it all goes down. When you leave it to the wild, better know your crowd. My homie said he turned me in, so we don't all go down. I don't even come around, I got no trust now. Every time I break it down, I swear that dough come loose. They clocking the money, wanna know what I'm finna do They talk to me funny, wonder what they motive would do And how can I blame when I done came from nothing the same I done made blue felt moose, sit lost, been seen green Ayo hey,